Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fans. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. Hello and welcome to the Seahawks Real Hawk Talk. Post game show. I am Brian Nemhauser here to talk to you about a hell of a football game between the Seattle Seahawks and the Detroit Lions. It was uh, crazy to see this Seahawks offense explode this week, um, play one of the best offensive games of football in team history not punting for the first time in team history, putting up 48 points, should have been 51 points, and almost lose. <laughs> we will talk about it. It will likely just be me today, so we'll be doing a fair amount of Q&A. It's good to see you all here. Good to celebrate a Seahawks victory after what you know has been a pretty painful start to this season. And... There is still plenty of pain today. Lots of frustrating moments, lots of head slapping moments. We will talk about it now. And I just want to start with my my thoughts and, and I'll get to that in one second. First of all, if you if you're just joining, please get please give the show a like, uh, give it a thumbs up, click subscribe, click the bell to get notified when we go live, and head on over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger to get immediate access to our Slack channel, sign up, be a patron, uh, support the cause, support the show, and support the charities that we donate to every year. So 
great time to do it. Uh, there's clearly going to be a lot to talk about about this Seahawks team, kind of defying all odds. So let's start. Let's get let's get going here. Um, first thought here is uh, the guy that honestly I really thought would be maybe the least the least interesting part of this team um, has become maybe the most interesting. Geno Smith. Uh, this, this guy was not just considered mediocre. He was not just considered a backup. He was considered by most to be a a bad quarterback and by many, by many considered to be the worst starter in the entire NFL this season. And he has been anything but that, um, Geno Smith ends up completing 76% of his passes today, 23 of 30. That is his first time in the last four starts that he has not completed 80% of his passes. He already set an NFL record by being the first quarterback to complete more than 80% of his passes in three consecutive games. I put it as minimum 15 attempts. I don't know what the minimum is, but uh, he was well on his way to doing that again. There was a couple of drops in this game. Otherwise, he probably would have been there again. And he was he was amazing. He was, again, remarkable at the line of scrimmage, pre-snap, diagnosing what's going on on the field, uh, giving the, his team the best chance to, to make the great plays. And it wasn't just... It wasn't just the throws, which were on point, and it wasn't just the fact that this guy was making clutch third-down conversions or performing in the red zone or making short passes, throwing on the run, throwing long. He was also cleverly picking points where he could run for first downs, and he was seeing some of those things pre-snap. There were designed designed uh, quarterback draw for a touchdown. He ran for a touchdown in this game. There was a play where he communicated with DK Metcalf on a key moment, and he ran for a big gain uh, off the left side. That was not the play call. That was Geno diagnosing that pre-snap. And for all the things, this is not going to turn into a Russell Wilson slam fest. That's not what I'm interested in. For all the things Russell did remarkably well, like superhumanly well, it was always very frustrating for me to watch players like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or, you know, Patrick uh, uh, Mahomes and, and others get to the line of scrimmage, recognize something that they saw, make adjustments and throw to a player that was wide open. Like a lot of what makes quarterbacking sustainably good quarterbacking possible in the nfl is understanding what you're seeing before the ball's ever snapped people put a lot of pressure a lot on the shoulders of the offensive coordinators and we'll talk a little bit about shane waldron but the coordinator can guess what the defense is going to do they put a call in but the quarterback when they get to the line of scrimmage actually can see much better what the defense is going to do. So there's a significant weight on the shoulders of the quarterback to get his team into the best possible play call. And Gino does that better than Russell Wilson. I I, I don't know who would disagree. I'm sure there are going to be people that will. 
I see Geno Smith getting this team into play calls, advantageous play calls over and over and over again. And, you know, the Seahawks end up today nine for 12 on third downs. They've been money on third downs all year. One of Russell Wilson's weak spots historically, not just in the last few years, not just when he was a rookie, but like historically has been third down play. And part of that is because you get the most exotic looks from a defense on third down, and it's harder to diagnose pre-snap what's going on. Today, today, there was nothing um, keeping Geno Smith from converting on those plays. He was consistently outsmarting what the Lions were doing. And one of the things he noticed early, and I think Shane Waldron did in the, in the game plan coming in, was that these Lions linebackers were not fast. And we saw Colby Parkinson, we saw D. Eskridge, we saw a number of guys come across the formation, come underneath, uh, underneath the, the quarterback, behind the line of scrimmage, and sprint out and past the linebackers for what were really, really easy completions. And how many times have we all looked at each other and said, why can't the Seahawks just get easy completions? Why does it always have to be so hard? And part of that absolutely has always been about um, the offensive play callers and the personnel. Some of that's about that. Some of it's been Russell Wilson. Some of it's been he's stubborn. He does not like short plays in general. That's my perspective. Now he might be proving us wrong this year. We'll see, but he likes explosive plays. He likes to hold the ball and look for deeper throws because he's amazing at it, but it's just so nice to watch Gino take a snap, know where he's going to go. And more often than not be right, be right about where to go. And he's getting rid of the ball so fast. He is helping his young offensive line. They go today. They throw the ball. 30 times today, 30 times. Geno Smith was not sacked today. He was only hit three times. Some of that is due to the offensive line. Some of that is due to play calling. And some of that is due to Geno Smith. So uh, really, really almost perfect game for Geno Smith. His final line, let's go over it real quick. 23 for 30, 320 yards passing, 10.7 yards per attempt. Don't tell me this guy just throws the ball short. That has not been true the last two weeks. Two touchdowns passing, zero interceptions, zero sacks, 132.6 passer rating, and seven carries for 49 more yards, seven yards a carry, and a touchdown. That is Geno Smith putting up nearly 400 yards of offense by himself. So... At some point, at some point, Geno Smith is not a game manager because let's be honest. I mean, the, the Seahawks have a rookie offensive line. They've got a lot of things that they're still figuring out. He's got a defense that is as bad or worse than anyone that Russell Wilson ever had. So unless Russell Wilson was a game manager when he was pulling out victories, and putting up big numbers when his defense was giving up a bunch, then neither is Geno Smith. So I, I, you know, I see a comment in here uh, about that he played against a terrible Lions defense. Sure. Yeah. 
He did. The Lions defense is awful. That doesn't mean you put up 48 points. How many points does he have to put up to get credit? How many other teams have played the Lions this year and how many of them have put up 48 points and almost 600 yards of offense? So don't diminish what DK Metcalf, what Geno Smith did today. Don't diminish it. It was, it was amazing football. And frankly, he did that in the first half against the Broncos defense, which is considered to be pretty darn good. Didn't do it as much in the second half. I think a lot of that was non-adjustment from Waldron. And then he did it against the Falcons and he did it against the Lions. Neither one of them have a good defense. But the Vikings, 3-1, and one, considered a pretty good offense. They put up 28 points and they only got that last set of points on the last drive of the game. The Eagles... Super Bowl contenders, right? Everyone's huge on the Eagles. They put up 38 points and 386 yards. So do not tell me that Geno Smith, because he played the Lions, doesn't get credit for leading an offense that puts up 550 yards and what should have been 51 points. So that's that's ludicrous. And I really just I really just don't want to hear about it. So I'm going to continue going on about other things that stood out to me. I know that people are pissed about the defense. We will talk about the defense. I promise you that. I promise you. But I'm not going to get on first thing after the Seahawks win this game and rag on them. That's that's just that's not where I'm starting. Like nobody picked the Seahawks to win this game except for yours truly. I picked them this week in our our pod on podcast on Wednesday. I was the only one on the crew that did. I will say I am now a perfect four for four in picking the Seahawks this year. I've picked both wins and I've picked both losses. And I believe that this was a really encouraging game for the Seahawks. Almost any way you spin it. Yes, we will talk about that defense. But they still won. They won this game. And they had a number of chances on offense to not withstand the charge from Detroit and to to basically wilt and say, yeah, God, defense, you just are so bad, we can't do it. Time after time after time, the offense just kept scoring, just kept converting. And it wasn't just Geno Smith. Let's talk about the rest of the offense. Rashad Penny, how many of us, raise your hand, raise your hand if you have been waiting to see this game where Rashad Penny looked like the Rashad Penny of the last part of the season last year. Those of us who did not think that was a fluke wanted to see it again, wanted to see him break into the open field, wanted to see him house some runs. And we saw that multiple times today. In fact, there was a play that he tripped on the sidelines that would have been, would have been a house run as well. He finishes today. 17 carries, not even 20 carries, 17 carries, 151 yards, two touchdowns. He had two touchdown runs, two explosive runs on touchdowns. Uh, and as I'm looking up, I want to check really quickly. Um, I believe this might not be his career high, but it's close. Yes, he had a 190-yard game and a 170-yard game to finish last year. But this is a game, this may be 
the first time in his career. Let's double check. I'm going to look through a few. Give me a second. Give me a second. Hold on. Okay. This is his career high for games where he's carried the ball at least 15 times in in average per carry. He averaged 8.9 yards per carry in this game. Uh, double checking that. Yes. Yes. Uh, so just continues to be an explosive runner. And it's just great to see. Like, I, I think that it was also great to see the offensive line finally sealing off some blocks and giving him the cutbacks and give credit to Shane Waldron. It was not just the players that third down and 14, very fortunate for Seattle that that initial play was called a non play sucks for the lions fans. I get it. I'd be frustrated too, but it happened. It was real. And then you had third and 14. All you had to do is stop them there. Shane Waldron calls a draw play. How many of you, how many of you have seen Mike Holmgren or Pete Carroll's teams call a draw play on third and long and be so frustrated because they're just giving up? And here we saw Rashad Penny house that for a touchdown, huge backbreaking play, uh, really, really great blocking, great timing. And honestly, I thought Gino also was great in his timing on how he delayed his handoffs. The timing there on a couple of those plays was really, really good. Um, I thought Kenneth Walker, for what it's worth, he still is not, he has not earned my seal of approval. I'm not saying I'm not hoping he does, but he ran hard. I like that he ran hard. I think one of his more impressive plays today was converting that short third down where he was initially uh, stopped but fought through the block of the tackle and got, you know, a short conversion. That's a play. Honestly, I don't think Rashad Penny makes Rashad Penny is not wonderfully skilled on short yardage running straight into the line kind of plays uh, where everybody knows it's going to be a run. Obviously he had the big, the big run right in the middle um, that I just talked about, but I'm talking about goal line short yardage. He's not a power back in that way, even though he's a big dude. So it was nice to see Kenneth Walker convert that, but in general, still, still not, not seeing Kenneth Walker being the next great thing. He looks like a totally serviceable, serviceable back. I'm looking to see him break out and we'll see what happens there. Next place we got to go is DK Metcalf. That guy looked like we all wanted DK Metcalf to look today. Seven catches, 149 yards, 21 yards per catch. That's seven catches and 10 targets. And it was so much more efficient than what we've seen. There, there's been a little bit of forcing happening with Gino to DK. Today, you know, they just looked like an elite pair. Throwing and catching. DK had my favorite catch from Metcalf was along the sideline where he had his arm extended and was hand fighting. I think it was with, with Akuda, but I'm not positive. And he makes basically a one-handed catch with his left hand. That was a professional catch, professional catch. So just loved, loved, loved seeing what we saw from DK Metcalf. He didn't even have a touchdown today, but really, really played well. Um, he paired with Tyler Lockett, who had six catches and eight targets. 
Uh, Tyler had 91 yards, also didn't have a touchdown. Where did all the touchdowns come from? Well, some of them came from the running game. Three of them came from the running game. Two for Rashad Penny, one for Geno Smith. Where did the others come from? The tight ends, boys and girls. We again are seeing Will Disley. He had a tight end. He had a touchdown today. Noah Fant had a touchdown today. That was kind of nice of Geno. He could have had his second rushing touchdown, um, but he chose to throw it to his, his tight end. That was Noah Fant's only catch today. The tight ends were good again today. Um, Disley, four catches, four targets. Parkinson, two catches and three targets. And would have had another, if not for a really nice play by Harris on the, the Lions defense, batting down a pass from Geno that was headed for another solid gain to Parkinson. Uh, and then Noah Fant. So one catch, one target. So that's uh, seven catches in eight targets and should have been eight for eight. So we're seeing an offense that is utilizing the tight ends in a way that just has not happened for years. And some of that credit goes to Shane Waldron. Some of that credit goes to Geno Smith. And some of it goes to the tight ends. Well, I'm not seeing the tight ends make a ton of plays that we haven't seen other tight ends capable of making in this team before. So for me, a lot of this goes to throws that Gino's willing to make and game plans that Shane Waldron is, is drawing up. So teams cannot just zero in on DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Can't do it. I mean, I, I still would make that my priority because you'd rather get beat by Will Disley and Colby Parkinson and Noah Fant than you would those two. But they're struggling. Teams are struggling to, to then keep the Seahawks offense from being able to continue to operate with some of these other players. And it ends up that eight different receivers catch a pass today. That is something we've seen from, from Gino in this offense so far this year, a good distribution. Uh, so the running backs so far have not been a huge part of the passing game, um, but really, really nice to see um, the evolution of the tight ends um, on this team and in the offense. Uh, so, those were like, and then, oh my God, I can't believe I almost forgot to mention this. Offensive line. This is the number one thing that matters for the Seahawks this season. Doesn't mean nothing else matters, but it's the number one thing that matters. And we saw Charles Cross, Abe Lucas, once again, playing a pretty clean game. I think there's some plays they'd like back. There's some probably penalties, that kind of stuff. But these are rookies playing in what was their second road game in the NFL in their career in a loud stadium. We had what, like one false start? That's pretty good. I think we had maybe one holding penalty. I'm not sure. I, I could be wrong I'm, uh, in terms of the, the tackles. But in general, you know, this is a team that this is a, a line that gave up just three hits and no sacks. So I, I'm just tickled. I am tickled by the play of the offensive tackles. And I just really, really am encouraged by what that means. Um, so now let's, let's talk about the rest of the game. Let's talk about some of the other parts of this game. Some of it will be good. Some of it will be bad. I have to say this game would have looked differently. I do believe this game would have looked differently if Tyler Lockett does not fumble the punt after the Seahawks defense gets a three and out on the first possession. I think this game would have looked different 
if the Seahawks special teams did not give up a fake punt for a first down on fourth and three after the Seahawks defense did a second three and out. So people can disagree or feel however you want. I think this game goes differently if those two situations on the first two possessions of the Lions go differently. So I saw a defense that came out and for the first quarter was meaningfully better. Does not mean it was a good defense, but they were filling their gaps. The tackling was much better. There was even a little bit of pressure. So yes, we will talk about everything that happened after, but there was progress there because I haven't seen what I saw in that quarter in other situations. So that was something I will just call out. But then, I mean, there are two players, especially for this team, two players, especially that are just killing this team. I, and, and some of it, I'm like shocked. I, I don't get why there are people, I guess maybe that, that they had, priors that they're trying to protect i don't know but cody barton's not a good football player there is no way this guy is a starter and never will be a starter he is not only is he a bad tackler but you know i had a conversation with someone on twitter who's like hey well on that play on the goal line, you know, he should, you can't expect him to be anticipating Jared Goff keeping it on fourth down. Well, do you anticipate every play that's happening? Like, there's a reason that Madden football has a score for awareness on defenders. And Cody Barton's awareness was like zero today. He, he got completely fooled on that touchdown. He, in coverage gave up what was a third, second and 23 deep in the Lions territory. He, for some reason, got sucked up to the first level to defend a, a play. When you have second and 23, you always want to keep them in front of you. So I just don't get what his thinking was there. That was a crucial, crucial mistake that bailed the Lions out of what was a really bad situation gives up like after the team had done you know a lot to to stop things from happening he gives up a touchdown to Jared Goff or was that a two point conversion i think it was a two point conversion any event it was bad and then that play along the sidelines i mean come on all you got to do all you have to do is push the guy like follow him out of bounds and yes, he was being engaged by Jamal Williams, but he had plenty of freedom to just get Hawkinson out of bounds. He made a lazy play. He he just tried to shove him, and Hawkinson was like, no, you're not strong enough to shove me anyway, and I'm just going to keep going. I mean, these are back-breaking plays, and... These were compounding mistakes. So what, one of the things you're seeing with the Seahawks defense is it's not just one player making a mistake on a play. It's multiple players, and often it's the same two guys on that same Hawkinson play. Who missed the first tackle? Josh Jones. Josh Jones in the open field has proven regularly this year he is 
not a good tackler. His play in that particular one, I had less of a problem with. It would have been a really nice tackle, but it was going to be tough. Bigger dude, having to chase him down, didn't take a good angle. Missed tackle, no doubt about it, but a hard play to make. The Cody Barton missed tackle, like, uh, awful, like unforgivably awful. And so I've talked about it all offseason. I talked about it last year. I do not understand why the Seahawks did not prioritize any competition whatsoever for inside linebacker. Who, who do they replace Cody Barton with at this point? Tell me. Like, who do they put in? They don't have any real options. Now, if John Radigan was healthy, I think I'd be excited about seeing Radigan play. At least he's a good tackler. I mean, Nick Ballore. I don't want to see Nick Ballore playing. Nick Ballore almost lost this game on the onside kick. He is not a hands guy. I don't know what he was doing thinking that he should go out there and try to catch a spinning ball before it went 10 yards. So there are veterans available. I'd like to see him go get one. Similarly at safety. I, I don't want to hear about Josh Jones. Ryan Neal, he played better today than some of what we've seen from Josh Jones. He's not the answer, folks. He's not going to like all of a sudden solve everything. I would like to see, you know, Landon Collins. Like people could say, oh, these guys have similar problems and they make, so what? It's different. It's, it's a different person. It is at least attempting to address what is a real, real issue because when you have the majority of your players doing their job after they haven't been, and two guys are repeatedly causing you issues, you're not doing your job as a coaching staff or as a front office if you're not addressing it and bringing in competition. So that's a talent issue for me. That's not a coaching thing. Those guys have got to go. You've got to bring in some other players. We saw today an example of what I'm talking about. Who here thought that, uh, uh, what is his name? Daryl Johnson Jr. I think. Um, anyway, he started for Daryl Taylor today. Does anyone think before the season that he's more talented than Daryl Taylor? No. Did he actually like help the Seahawks look better defending the run and defending the edge today than Daryl Taylor? Yeah. And did things go downhill when Daryl Taylor had to come in? Yeah, they did. So... I'm just pointing out, it doesn't have to be some superstar guy. Sometimes different is better. And when you've got really bad, different is often better. So maybe they'd make different mistakes. Maybe they'd still be bad, but they make different mistakes. And maybe their different mistakes, their weaknesses would be more covered up by other talent that the Seahawks do have. But in general, the Seahawks defense just doesn't look that talented. It looks like it's just missing playmakers everywhere. With some noticeable, notice, notable exceptions. I think the play by Tariq Woolen today, let's talk about that. Opening up the second half, cuts underneath, closes the gap with TJ Hawkinson, picks off the ball, takes it, houses it. That was the, to, to give you some idea of the lack of explosiveness and the lack of athleticism and lack of talent we've seen on the Seahawks defense for years now. That is the first 
defensive touchdown that the Seahawks have had since 2019. Two full seasons. Two full seasons that they played without getting a defensive score. And the last time they got it was, again, a Jared Goff pick six. Quandre Diggs had a 55-yard pick six. So thank you, Jared Goff, for being Jared Goff. But that was a great play by Woolen. And he is a perfect example of what this season should look like. Did Woolen play a perfect game? Is he going to get like an 89 rating by PFF this week? No, absolutely not. He made mistakes. He gave up some receptions. I think he had some penalties. Yeah, but he got some too. He, that was, you could call that the game winning play in terms of point differential. And so Brandon Browner gave up plays. Byron Maxwell gave up plays. Even Richard Sherman gave up plays, although not a ton, to be honest. But they made plays, too. And so this is something I always had trouble with Shaquille Griffin about. He was a talented athlete, but rarely made the impact play to really impact the game. The best thing he, you could hope for with him is that he would keep a player from making a reception. The chances that he was actually going to pick off a ball or cause a fumble pretty low and you need that you need playmakers on defense and as much as Kobe Bryant today another rookie got picked on did not have a perfect game by any stretch he also made a crucial play knocking out a ball causing a fumble that the Seahawks recovered turned into points again could call that the difference in this game so that's why I like I'm not expecting a lot from the Seahawks this year. They've got guys that are young and developing. There's going to be games where Charles Cross or Abe Lucas maybe look like rookies or, you know, whoever else. Boye Mafe, I thought today, played pretty well. He had some bad plays as well, but I thought had some good ones. So I want those guys on the field. I want them learning. And it was just nice to see, like, I can handle some bad plays by young players if we also see some good plays and some promise. So that was great. I see people in chat talking about Josh Jones dropping that interception 100%. I mean, late in the game, Jared Goff makes an idiotic decision, could have easily run for a first down on third and nine, decides to chuck it downfield into triple coverage, underthrows it, it lands in Josh Jones's belly. Doink. Drops it. I mean, it's one thing if you're going to be a fast cover safety who sucks at tackling, but then make, make an easy 500 catch. Like that was like Jared Goff called 500 when he threw that up. It was an easy one. And all Josh Jones had to do is put his hands around it, let it hit his stomach, fall to the ground. He didn't do that. So, um, yeah, I think those were some of the things that stood out to me. Um, I thought that there were some just <laughs> I know people are going to just be upset about it, and that's totally fine. I thought the run defense was better. They definitely gave up some explosive plays. I'd call it like two explosive plays maybe three and that's too many. I'm not saying that's great, but 
I saw better gap integrity. I saw the Lions having to work for more yardage, definitely than the Vikings did on the ground. And I saw fewer just wide open holes that people were running through. So progress. And whether you want to believe it or not, the Lions have been a pretty productive offense this year. Number two in the NFL in scoring. Yes, they were missing players. They were, they've been productive. So anyway, I saw a little bit of progress there. Certainly not enough to be excited about, but I can't, I can't tell you when I think that they're awful and then not tell you when I see things that are better. That's just not, not how I'm going to do it. So I did see things that were a little bit better there and we'll see if they can do it next week against a saints offense. That is actually not very good. So Interestingly, you look up at the the standings right now, not that any Seahawks, I do not recommend this for any Seahawks fans to do this, but if you look at the standings, the Seahawks, depending on what happens with, if the 49ers do what they always do, which is beat the the, the Rams, um, Seahawks are going to be tied for first place <laughs> through four weeks. I mean... That is not what I expected. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, the, if you have a team with an offense that is playing like this, they're going to be competitive. And their worst game this year, when they lost 27-7 to the 49ers, I don't know. I... Uh, I think I think that game was closer than the, the the final score showed, and I think that this team might play that game differently if they had to do it over again. So, yeah, I, I, the Seahawks. I think this week looked like a team that could start figuring things out and maybe win seven games. I don't think that's out of the question. The team we saw last week which was a good offense and an awful defense with nothing redeeming at all. It looked like a team that could lose every other game the rest of the year to any team. I don't think we know what this team is yet. And as much as we're aggravated and, you know, it's eye of the beholder, they're two and two. The offense has been great. The defense has been awful. You can't tell me that this team has no chance to win more games this year. I don't believe it. You can't tell me they have no chance to beat the Jets or the Giants or the Saints or even the 49ers, to be honest, or the Cardinals. I think they got a shot in those games. So, look, this team could go on a big losing bender, not being able to overcome this defense. I don't see a lot of talent on this defense. I don't see like some solution where all of a sudden players, I don't think Boye Mafe is going to turn into Von Miller. He's not that kind of player. I'm not sure I see Daryl Taylor figuring it out to the point where he's all of a sudden the guy that we were hoping was going to get double figures and sacks. I think the secondary can get better. I think Trey Brown coming back could help. I think that adding some additional players to the roster 
and maybe substituting out or putting at least a rotation with Barton and Jones could help. And I think getting a little bit more used to this defense and how to play it, which I think is what I explained the difference this week is largely the team just is starting to get it a little bit more. Then yeah, they could win some games. I think this is, I'm in no way close to saying this is a team that should be thinking about the playoffs, but it's a pretty shitty NFC. So there's going to be some bad teams that make the playoffs one way or another. Um, I don't think the Seahawks are going to be one of them, but they're gaining some confidence. And when you win a game, when you play that bad on defense, all of a sudden you approach the next week and you're like, man, if we can just figure this out and figure that out, then things get really interesting. So um, look, I, I think I haven't done the math on it. I haven't looked at all the research. I think we're going to find out Geno Smith is going to be a top five quarterback in QBR after this week. And if he's not, he's definitely top 10. And his passer rating, I think he's going to be top five after this week. You know, like it's a quarterback driven league and we can say the name all we want and like kind of wince like Geno Smith. The numbers are undeniable. Right now, this guy is playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. So, I mean, uh, take that for what it's worth, but it's true. And as long as he's playing to that level, and if this run game now, which started last week to get interesting, this week became very interesting, 235 yards rushing. Seven yards a carry. If all of a sudden you add that to the efficiency we're seeing in the passing game, the pass protection we're seeing from the offensive line, the run blocking, which I've told you all, takes time to develop. Run blocking is always the last thing to get figured out. I've seen that take 8 to 12 games in a season for a new offensive line to figure out how to effectively coordinate and and run block. If they're starting to put that together, Seahawks can be in a lot of games. So with that, um, I will take a look and see uh, if there are any questions. I will probably only take a couple because I've got stuff I got to do the rest of the afternoon, but I did want to come on and and share some initial thoughts about this team and about the game. Um, I'm going to look really quickly at team stats while people decide if they want to ask a question. If you haven't already, please give the show a like. I appreciate it. And click subscribe, click the bell to get notified when we go live and uh, go over to patreon.com slash sign up, get immediate access to the Slack channel, ask some questions that we will answer midweek in the show. So I am not, uh, not seeing um, a bunch of questions here. I don't know specifically if Fuller was in there on the penny TD in the second half. Um, news to me that Fuller played, so did not notice that. Um, see a question from All Pro Seahawks. Do you think if the defense can get better and Gino continues his great play, can Gino lead us to the playoffs? Look, the answer is yes. It's not a good NFC. It's not that tough of a schedule. And Gino is playing like one of the easily one of the best quarterbacks in the NFC. Easily. So yeah. That is possible. I don't, I'm not predicting that by any stretch. We are, we've got one of the worst defenses in the league. You'd like to say it's the worst, but it's not. 
<laughs> in fact, the Lions are worse. And there's others. The Falcons are pretty bad. So um, anyway, uh, yes, it's possible, but I don't, I don't think it's likely. How do I feel about Pete? Al McGrath asks. Um, another year of massively struggling defense, except for the time it's getting worse. Uh, can't excuse him. Can't just blame lack of talent. Is Pete the problem? Uh, everything falls on the head coach's shoulders, especially if you're a defensive coach and for years you haven't been able to figure out a defense. Yeah, it, it, it falls on Pete's shoulders. I think you probably give Pete some of the credit for some of the improvement we saw at the beginning of the game. I think he got more involved. They they played with pads during practice, worked on tackling, but it hasn't been good. So, you know, you got a brand new defensive coordinator is trying to figure things out and Clint hurt and new defensive staff. They're probably trying to figure each other out a little bit. And uh, yeah, I, I think If it really depends on how things progress, it's hard for me to really judge Pete so much on right now. A lot of new players, new scheme, a lot of young players. Uh, it might just take a little while and we'll see what happens um, up, uh, as things go on. Really good question from NBA LM. Do I have an opinion on uh, DK's poop? I do not have an opinion on DK's needing to go to the bathroom during the game. I do have an opinion on please don't stop our hearts by taking a cart next time. You are like the fastest human on the planet. Just just get there with your legs and uh, like let us chill out. That was a little little too much for my my uh, heart there. Um, good question from Jack here. Will we need to pay Gino next year? Well, that's going to be an interesting question. We'll talk about that on Real Hawk Talk on Wednesday for sure. Uh, Gino's going to command a salary. If he if he plays like this the rest of the year, he's going to command multi-year deal, big bucks. I don't want you to sign him. I'm telling you right now, I, I don't think you build your next Super Bowl contender with a veteran contract. I, I want a rookie contract. I would be fine signing him to, you know, I would even be fine franchise tagging him. Crazy as that sounds. Pay him a shit ton for one year. You're going to have the cap room anyway. Draft a rookie. Still let that guy develop. But, you know, I do not want to get locked in to say we are all in on Geno Smith. Even as well as he's playing. That's not what I want. I think it, even if he does, continues to play this well in future years. You've just shortened your window. You have to win within, you know, a few years um, before he starts getting pretty old. So uh, wouldn't be my, my first choice. But the other thing is if you let him walk and he signs with another team, you're going to get a pretty hefty comp pick. You'll get a third round comp pick. So those two things combined make me comfortable with him potentially taking a walk. Um, yeah, looking through here. Yeah, just a a really big, big game for the Seahawks. Um, all right, I'm going to take one more question here. Um, 2010 Seahawks vibes. A little bit. A little bit. You know, the Colin Cole defense. Uh, that was all over the place. You know, I think Marcus Trufant 
She's still on that team. I believe he was. Yes, he was. Like, has a pretty bad defense, and and the offense was not so great either. And they just managed to get in, win the division with a seven and nine record. NFC West is looking not so great this year. I don't think it's seven and nine is going to get it, or seven and ten. But is it possible that ten wins could win this division this year? It's possible. I don't think the Rams look great. I don't believe in the 49ers. So we'll see. We'll see. All right, everybody. It has been a lot of fun to see you all. I really, really appreciate you coming over. Please give the show a like. Um, really appreciate it. Click subscribe. Get notified when we go live. And uh, go over to patreon.com slash And enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Go Mariners. Go Seahawks. Let's have some fun. Take care.